Instead, what usually is the case is it's a bunch of small solutions, but those small solutions don't satisfy people's need for drama. It doesn't feel like these small solutions are fixing the problems. So fixing the problem of corrupt leaders in churches, prayer church ministries, isn't going to be some wide-sweeping adjustment that's going to suddenly fix the root cause. But every organization, every church doing a better job of self-examination of those leaders. And the passage today in 1 Peter is one of those passages to help us. So 1 Peter 5, the end of verse 1. I exhort the leaders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseering out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Father, we're incredibly grateful for this opportunity to worship you, to, to be reminded that the church is not the building, it is the people of God wherever we gather, whether in a, a renovated downtown department store or an established church with a long history of people gathering to worship there or under a tree. When we gather, we are the church. So we thank you for that reminder today. Thank you that we are not dependent on certain things like coffee or uh, a cool downtown building or uh, a screen with lyrics and PowerPoint slides to worship you. What we need is the people, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and we can worship you. So allow us to do that today, to adjust in whatever ways this might feel uncomfortable, uh, and simply lean our hearts and our minds and our ears towards you. We pray for Parkview Baptist. We thank you that you've been praying for them for a while. We thank you for uh, developing a friendship between us and them. We thank you for the trust they have for us to use their space. We pray your blessings on them. Even right now, as the gospel is being proclaimed, that you would call people to repentance and faith in you, just as you did last week for a young lady uh, that's an AA. She trusted in Jesus as her Savior. We pray that would continue and multiply more and more in Parkview Baptist. Bless Brother Terry, bless uh, Brother Lanny, and the other church staff who are part of shepherding the people of God toward you. Give them everything they need to make you known. And this part of the city. We also pray for places who have yet to have a building like this, maybe never will look like this exactly, because they worship in secret. And they have to worship in secret. They've yet to have the Word of God in their own language. And we ask that the Spirit of God continue to work through us and through other churches to make that happen. Do that among the Chinese in Nairobi, and the Wanchi, and the Ache, and the Bainan, and the Bonan. And the Tibetan Jonah, and the Laz, and the Zazas, and the Mandor, and the Agnobi people. God, we, we long for our brothers and sisters among those people just to be found, to be brought into the family. So one day we can know them and we can worship with them. Continue to help us to be not just faithful in doing our part, but even bold, even, even daring, to get uncomfortable and sacrificial to get the gospel of these people. Have mercy on them. 
Give them more time, Father. We long for them to be saved. And bless this time of your word, Father, we long to hear what you have for us. May you encourage, may you challenge, may you convict. And may you bring salvation. If there needs to be salvation among anyone in this room, may today be the day of your salvation. As they realize and confess their sins, the fact that we are sinful, that we are sinners, and that Jesus alone has done everything necessary for us to have faith in, in life and forgiveness and to be, become part of this family. Do all these things for the glory of Jesus alone, we pray. Amen. Our focus today will be the first four verses directed to church leaders or elders. Next Sunday, we'll focus on verse five, direct, directed to those who aren't elders. I, I think we'll be back in the house next Sunday. That's what we're being told, but you never know some of these things. So we'll let y'all know on workplace. If you're here, you're not on workplace, let us know before you leave and we can get you just kind of coast, sit on these comfy views, and go eat lunch in a little while. Um, but it's a message for the church, as you might know. For men who might one day or maybe currently aspire to be an elder, this is what God's calling you to. Um, I think anyone in leadership in any business organization as a Christian can learn from this passage today, how to be a better leader. And so that might be for you. But it's certainly a message for all of the crossing, what you should expect from your elders. And if you see this in, you see this in us, I, I want you to know it's okay to encourage us. <laughs> Hey, I see this good work in your life, brother. Like, I don't, I've yet to meet the person who's suffered from too much encouragement. Not flattery, okay? We're not putting anyone on a pedestal. We're not asking for that. But just, hey, I see the evidence of God's grace in your life in these ways. I just wanted to encourage you. Like, it is life-giving. Like, we, we need that amongst each other more and more because our voices tend to be so negative already. And the voices that we hear in the culture. But also, if we're falling short of these things, then also feel the freedom to ask us. Don't just disappear and find a new church. Don't flame us around town on social media, but sit down with one-on-one -on -one conversations. And if we respond in defensiveness or anger or pride or arrogance, and maybe involve more in the process, Paul laid this out in 1 Timothy 5, how you deal with this in elders. Maybe the reason is not sin, uh, but it's hurt, it's struggle. Uh, I would tell you that loneliness but for those of you who may be aspiring to be an elder, loneliness, depression, despair, and the spiritual attack of our enemy are common companions to pastoral ministry. So most of all, as we go through this passage, I would ask that this would spur you on to pray for us. To pray for your elders. Like we desperately need that more than anything else. A gift card is, is great. We're never going to be sad about getting a gift card. An encouraging word, high on the back. Awesome, thank you for that. But in the quiet, in your prayer closet, alone, just you and the Lord, you lifting us up, asking God to help, like that will do more for our hearts and souls, bring us more joy and give us more long-term sustainability than anything else, really. Peter begins this section by saying a little bit about himself as part of his exhortation. Essentially, he helps them to see that, hey, I'm in this with you. Like Peter could have said, uh, I write to you, I exhort the elders among you as an apostle of Jesus Christ, capital A apostle. I'm one of the original 12. Take out Judas, insert Matthias, add Paul, now 13. He could have kind of thrown out that title of authority. He, he rightly would deserve to. 
But he, he didn't care about that. He wanted to get low. I'm a fellow elder. I'm one of you, which he was. Now, elder in the New Testament doesn't mean old person, but is the title of the office in the New Testament church and is used interchangeably with pastor, overseer, and even bishop. It's basically a pastor. It was taken from the Old Testament understanding of elders leading in the Jewish community and brought into the church. So whenever you see elder used in the New Testament, that's what it's referring to. And whenever it's referred to in the New Testament, it's always spoken of in plurality, elders, which is why we have multiple elders in our church. It's one of the two offices in the New Testament church along with deacon. Other passages also list qualifications and descriptors of these men. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, Acts 20. Other passages talk about aspects of what we do. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 1 Timothy 5. Elders are men, hopefully, usually from that local church, raised up from within, who aspire to this role, and the church says, yes, you are one of our leaders. Because you meet these biblical qualifications, not perfectly, but with enough consistency and transparency that we want to follow your leadership as you follow Christ. And Peter says, I'm one of those two, a fellow elder. He was also a witness to the sufferings of Christ. He not only was aware of the sufferings of Christ, now he bears witness. He makes them known. And in light of the talk about persecution in this letter, he, he himself has shared the sufferings of Christ. Peter's been talking about preparing them for persecution. And he'll do more in the next section. He stops, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to walk through this section on church leadership. Like, it might seem random, but God is never random. And it seems the purpose is, if your people are walking through persecution, your leaders need to be strong and prepared to lead them through persecution. And as leaders, be prepared because usually you get it first. It's usually the way it happens. The air is running full blast. These old buildings are about as good as it gets. So... This is why they used to have fans scattered around the pews. So if you want to grab something and start fanning yourself. But one of the key truths Peter keeps going back to is to help us walk through suffering and persecution is the assurance of the glory that is soon coming. Either because Christ is about to return or we're about to go be with him. We'll come back to this in verse 4. But Peter lived with the taste of his future glory on the tip of his tongue. It wasn't some wishful thinking. Uh, idea that he would occasionally consider, like on Sundays when the saints would gather on the Lord's Day, like, oh, now I'm getting really fired up about Jesus coming back. No, Peter lived with this understanding. Jesus is coming. I'm going to stand before him and receive and share this glory that he's promised. And that's motivating me today. And then in verse 2, Peter shifts to the elders he's addressing. And we'll walk through that thinking about the task and the heart and the, and the future rewards. The first, the task. He says there in verse 2, shepherd God's flock among you. So this is essentially our job description in a nutshell. The idea of pastor or elder as a shepherd, or rather a man in leadership of God's people as a shepherd would, goes way back to the Old Testament. Two of the most vital leaders of the Old Testament were actual shepherds, David and Moses. Shepherding imagery is used, of course, in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Literally, he shepherds us. Uh, you see the prophet Ezekiel using this image of the leaders of Israel. Ezekiel 34, talking about them as true shepherds and false shepherds. One will care for God's people and one will use and abuse God's people. 
This imagery of shepherding is picked up in the Gospels by Jesus, who used it a lot. Leave the 99 sheep to go find the one who's gone astray. Spoken in, spoken in the context of wayward children of God in Matthew 18. And spoken of in the context of lost people in Luke 15. And then Jesus himself calls himself the good shepherd in John 10, talking about his flock. And so if you spend time thinking about and digging into the work of the shepherd, there's so many parallels to their work in tending and caring for the flock, as well as how we as elders strive to tend and care for the flock of God. Alexander Strzok in his huge book on biblical eldership, which all of the elders of the Crossing Church have walked through, uh, in the past together, he describes the shepherding role as knowing the flock, leading the flock, feeding the flock, and protecting the flock. Which is a good description of our work. First, we need to know you. You need to be in your life. You need to be aware of what you're going through and how to pray and care for you. Like when we have elders meetings, we have one tomorrow night scheduled. There's a considerable amount of time spent discussing the flock. How is so-and-so doing what do they need? How can we serve and help them? Not in a gossipy way, or willing, but in a, uh, like a team of doctors discussing how the patient is doing. What's good and how can we help? Or parents talking about their kids and how their kids are doing. And because we have a plurality of elders, there's no expectation on one elder to have to know all the flock. That's a good thing because it lightens the load for all the elders. So if someone's in a mission community with a particular elder, we can trust that elder's caring for their soul. The downside is we can't have the same close relationship with everyone. So we literally show up on Sunday, the Lord's Day, these gatherings, and we meet people that we don't really know as well as we know other people. And the heart of a pastor is I wish I knew all of them. And we just can't. We're limited. We have limited time and limited capacity. And we have to be okay with that, and you have to be okay with that. The fact that you, not everyone knows all the elders in the same way. Because God is caring for you through the plurality of elders. This also helps fight the common church mentality in our area of elevating a sole senior pastor to a position of unintended or maybe intentional importance. A person who can be struggling or sick, maybe a bunch of people in their small group are caring for them. Other church leaders will come and care for them. But they can grumble and complain until the pastor shows up. They feel important, maybe. As part of their struggles, they want to feel important. If the pastor shows up, then they feel important. Or maybe they think the pastor is almost like a medicine man or a shaman. Like he alone has this special divine access. So he has to pray for me if God's going to hear me. The, the previous two churches I pastored, like one of my biggest convictions in seeing the crossing get started was plurality of elders. I can't do this alone. I had done it alone in those two places. I didn't want to do it alone anymore. I need help. So we know the flock. We lead the flock. We're out front. We're taking the initiative. We're saying this is the direction we're going. Now hopefully the Spirit is leading us and the Spirit is leading His people. And so we're all going in the same direction, gladly holding hands, singing songs of joy. But at times it can be hard to discern how the Spirit is leading, like through global pandemics and the political unrest of the last three years. There's a ton of disagreement about where to go and how to get there, and leading becomes really hard because decisions have to be made, and it's impossible to make decisions where everyone's going to be happy. And, and, and that's been never been harder, in my opinion, than the last three years. What I've experienced in the last three years, I've never seen in, in the years I've been a pastor. And it's showing up among other pastors in pastoral burnout, depression, quitting, immorality. Like, 
never before. It's, it's rampant among pastors. And again, we continue to need your prayers, to need your grace, to need your patience. And God helping us extend the same to his flock. We also feed the flock. That's what we're doing here. Our only food is the Word of God, other resources, books, videos, podcasts that supplement God's Word. Not equal in authority, but hopefully a side item on the menu that enhances the main course. That always makes us hunger and want God's Word more and more. That's our spiritual food. So important, we believe. We spend the first Sunday of every year talking about that one thing. Because we want everything the rest of the year to flow out of our engagement with God's Word. Our love of God and His Word. And then fourthly, we protect the flock, primarily through protecting you from false teachings and teachers like we see in Titus 1.9. But it can also be things like only covenant members teach our kids. If one of our members does something that needs reporting to governing authorities, we don't hide it and say, well, we'll just deal with this internally. We report it. We have to call DCFS on a family in our church, we will. If we have to try and get a wife into dark to be safe from her domestic abuse of her spouse, we will. If we need to have hard conversations with someone to protect them from their foolishness, we will. By God's grace, leaning on Him for wisdom, of course, carefully but with certainty. Like that's shepherding in a nutshell, of course we could say much more. But we also have to remember we see here that we are shepherding God's flock. We belong to Him. And I say we because we have to be careful about making too much of a division between elder and member, or elder and saint. Yes, there are leaders established in the local church. We equip the saints for the work of ministry, Ephesians 4. We pray for the people and preach God's word, Acts 6. We rightly divide the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2. We labor hard in preaching and teaching, 1 Timothy 5. We have this role, yes, but we are also members of God's flock. We need shepherding too which we receive from one another, which we receive from DNA groups that we're in, which we receive from pastors outside of the crossing. And in some ways, we also submit to you, the flock of God, and we value your voice and listening here because you have the same Holy Spirit that we have. We don't have more of the Holy Spirit. We don't have more access to God. We're not spiritual superheroes. We have the same kind of struggles that everyone has. But at this point in our life, this is what God desires to be an elder. This is what we desire to be an elder. And this is what this local particular church has said yes to. But we are reminded as we shepherd the flock that it is God's flock, not our flock. Which means, as we see in Hebrews 13, we'll stand and give an account for how we've cared for your soul. Verse 5, we'll get into that next week. There's a responsibility for those who aren't elders. But we will stand and give an account for how we've shepherded you in whatever state that you're in. We can't stand before God one day and say, uh, can I get some grace with these particular people? You, you know how hard these people were? How did you care for their soul? I put you in their care. put you them under your care. I gave you oversight over their spiritual life. And we cover that in Hebrews 13. But we shepherd you in a way that recognizes you are not ours, you are his, and we want to care for his flock well. If we don't, we have God to deal with. This brings a genuine, good, healthy weightiness and somberness to this role that we don't take lightly or flippantly. And we shepherd his flock among you, it says there in verse 2. 
We will only stand and give an account for the covenant members of the Crossing Church. We aren't responsible for shepherding this entire city. We pursue lost people, we preach the gospel to them, we pursue those who wander away, but the shepherding and care isn't the same as those who are part of the flock God has given us oversight of. You are our first priority when it comes to shepherding. Not past churches we might have served at, not other churches in town, not people we used to pastor but now have their own pastors because they moved away. When someone leaves the crossing to another church, it can be sad, it has been sad on some occasions, but we also freely hand them over to the new pastor. Okay, now you shepherd them. We've had the privilege of shepherding them, now you shepherd them. And we don't feel that same responsibility to shepherd them any longer. Now, if someone leaves the crossing to just go sit on the couch, we're going to keep pursuing them as one who left the 99 until either they return to the Lord, until the Lord saves them, or until they find a new church family, another pastor for their soul. So that's the task, shepherd the, the flock of God. Secondly, we see the heart for the task there in verse 2. Uh, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Almost all the qualifications for elders in the New Testament have to do with heart and character. Almost nothing has to do with skill, except for maybe able to teach in 1 Timothy 3, which also includes some component of heart and character. But the heart we need for this task is, first of all, a desire to do this. Like we do this willingly, not under compulsion. As Paul said in 1 Timothy 3.1, anyone who aspires to this work aspires to a noble work. No guy does this not wanting to do this. There's some aspect of he wants this. Now that alone isn't enough. You want to do it. There are guys, guys that have been crossing over the years who have wanted this. And they don't need to do this because it's coming out of some sinful lust for power, prominence, to be in charge, to have a say, to feel important, to heal some wound in their past. Which is why the process to become an elder in the crossing is a long process. It is not a quick process. It is a long on-ramp that can take minimum a year to 18 months to two years. In fact, we don't even begin the process of someone becoming an elder until you've been a member of the crossing for 12 to 18 months. Like, we really want to know you. And it's, it's an arbitrary time frame. It could be longer if necessary or shorter, depending on the situation. A lot of churches have a short on-ramp to leadership. We hire quickly. The resume looks good. The references check out. Let's hire and put them in this position. And then they have a long on-ramp, an off-ramp, if they've hired a dead. Because it's hard to get rid of somebody that you hire. We prefer to have a long on-ramp, we really want to know this person, and then a short off-ramp. If they're not right, then it's easy to say goodbye. We hope and pray that protects God's flock from men who shouldn't be in this role. But it can be frustrating and cause impatience in guys who are eager and aspiring to do this, which is part of the process. Can you be patient? So I would say to all the men, not, not just young men, but all the men who are members of the crossing, if God is spurring you on and giving you a desire to do this shepherding kind of work, let one of us know. Let's begin the process of helping you discern and helping you prepare. Never because someone makes you. Like, I've got seven pastors in my, my ancestry, and I feel like I need to join that ancestry. It doesn't matter. Who cares? 
Or I've got no pastors. I'll be the first pastor. That doesn't matter either. You want to be as famous in your family. You're doing it willingly, not because someone's pressuring you. Peter writes, as God would have you there in verse 2. Does God want you to do this? There is a way to discern that. And if in the process of exploring that call, you find out, no, this is not it. That's okay. Be a healthy church member. Maybe be a healthy a deacon in the local church. Totally okay to not be a pastor. No shame at all. Secondly, our hearts can't do this because we're greedy for money. Instead, we do it eagerly. Now, I know it might seem silly in a church plan where all the elders either work full-time jobs or part-time jobs to need to say this. But money is still a powerful motivator, and we have to guard against it becoming something that begins to flavor how we work or why we work. And for us, it might not be, well, we're going to get rich doing this. I don't see that happening. But that might be, I show favoritism to the rich. And James talks about that evil in James 2. I give the big givers more of my time and attention. I can, I can honestly tell you, none of the elders of the crossing know who gives what. Like, I've never known the in all the churches that I've been at. I didn't want to. I couldn't trust my own heart with that information, how it might change how I treat people. But we serve eagerly, not motivated by money at all. If we were paid or not paid, you get the same effort, the same care, the same concern. Now, this is not saying a pastor can't earn a living from preaching the gospel. Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians 9. It's okay to do that. It was Paul's conviction, his context which caused him to pass that up, but it's perfectly okay for others. First Timothy 5 talks about those who do this well being worthy of double honor, even as the church in general is moving more and more to co-vocational or bivocational uh, leaders, there is still a place for guys to be in vocational ministry. It might come from uh, the church who can't afford to support a pastor and his family, or it might come from him raising support. But an elder can also work a full-time job and still be an elder and have the same heart for the people that an elder who is supported as a full-time vocational elder can have. So I'm mostly freed up, supported by the Crossing Church. My goal each week is to give the Crossing 32 to 40 hours of my time on top of a part-time chaplain job and other volunteer roles I have at X29, uh, our local Baptist association. But if we ever got to a place where that wasn't possible, I would gladly go get up. I've done that before. Thankfully, by God's grace, I've been able to step out of some part-time jobs over the years that we've, that we've had. But if I ever had to find more full-time work outside of the crossing, I would gladly do that and continue to serve you as one of your elders. Jesse and Joseph work full-time jobs, uh, and I hope we don't ask uh, more than four hours of their time each week on top of the 40 that they work, on top of leading a mission community. That's the ideal, but I know that if we had time cards, we would all be probably talking more than that. And I hope over time we can see more leaders raised up and put into place so we can have more healthy margins for ourselves and more rest. And potentially even more paid equippers. That's how we think about supporting uh, pastors in the Crossing Church as paid equippers. If we can free up your time so you have more time to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, great, let's do that. Whatever the structure looks like, our hearts aren't greedy for gain. We serve eagerly, not looking or longing for a paycheck, but eager to help trusting the uh, Lord will provide. And I'll be honest, we have a lot of work to do on this. We, we need to get a lot stronger in this area. We need more structure on this. We need more non-builders helping on the financial team. We don't want to run this like a business. 
We don't want to live with the mentality of some churches, you know, to keep the pastor poor, you can keep him humble. That's not biblical or godly. Uh, we also want to be wise stewards and care for our leaders. And we need more help doing that. We need more help with people on Sundays. Like Joseph has posted a Google Doc for people to sign up for how you can help make Sundays be good and healthy and vibrant. Uh, if you haven't responded, please do. So far, 14 have responded, which is awesome. Uh, we're going to actually be working on that tomorrow night. So if you can do that today, tomorrow during the day, that would help us even more know where we can plug you in. Don't worry. If you didn't sign up, we're going to come ask you. So, uh, But if you want to let us know ahead of time, that would just help us out a bunch. But we want to more and more be in a place where elders equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And it's not just elders doing it all. And that's on us to just not do it all. And that's a, a flaw that we have. We just do it. Thirdly, we serve, he tells us in verse 3, and don't lord over you. Verse 3 says, um, not lording it over those entrusted to you. We don't have special parking spots. We don't walk around with scepters and crowns. We get low and we serve, whatever it takes. We don't boss people around. We get low and serve others. Now, we do equip the saints for the work of ministry. Because uh, we don't want to do everything ourselves, but we do that in a serving way. Like we're not asking anyone to do something that we either haven't already done or aren't willing to do. Whether it be trash, bathrooms, kids ministry, uh, serving through musical worship on Sundays, sound, soundboard, slides, whatever. Hospitality, coffee, and all that kind of stuff. Whatever it takes. Yes, we can take that to the extreme and neglect our own health and serving others, so we need to guard against that. We need people pastoring us in our hearts. We need to limit, we can actually limit the health of the body if we're doing it all. But it's a heart to serve, that's our heart, and not be served. What can you do for me? No, no, we're asking, what can I do for you to help you grow and mature spiritually? Fourthly, we are examples of the flock. We as elders should live lives that you could point to and say, if I walk with Jesus like he walks with Jesus, I'll be good. I'll be a healthy follower of Jesus. If I'm a husband or father like he is a husband or father, that would be a blessing to my family. My family would be happy and thrive. And granted, we all have our own struggles and we're certainly not perfect. But we should generally speaking be heading in that direction. And even when we fail, there's an owning of it, a repentance and trusting in Jesus. I know for me this might be one of the most humbling on the list. Because sometimes all I see is how I fall short. All I see is my inadequacies and my failures and I wish I could do better. And that's where we also need the body for encouragement to help us see. Hey, you're doing this well, bro. And then lastly, verse 4, we see the reward for the task. He says there in verse 4, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When the chief shepherd, Jesus, appears, we get this unfading crown. Not the temporary, the fading crowns of vines or leaves that they gave out the games in the first century, but an eternal reward for a job well done. And you may ask yourself, I ask myself, well, how is this supposed to motivate me? I mean, really, how does that tangibly, like this future thing, how does that tangibly help me today? And get the thinking through that. Well, the... The only way any of us can do this well is because Jesus, the chief shepherd, has already done it. Like everything that he's asking us to do as shepherds, he has done for us as the chief shepherd. He is the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd. We are literally under shepherds to him. 
And so Jesus living in us then empowers us to be able to do this well. That's it. In our flesh, we won't be this at all. We might fake it for a little while, but you can fake it. Eventually, you will be seen for what you are. You can't fake it forever. But if Jesus is alive in us and we're staying close to him and our intimacy and our love for him is growing with intensity and consistency and passion, more and more Jesus is going to make us like him who lived all of this out perfectly. And like if anyone knew this, Peter knew this. It's Peter after he denied Jesus three times, after he wept bitterly, after Jesus was crucified and rose and revealed himself to the disciples. It was Peter being asked by Jesus three times on the beach in John 21, Peter, do you love me? Jesus asking Peter the same three times that he denied Jesus, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And this time Peter got it right. Three times Peter said, of course, Lord, you know that I love him. Of course, Lord, you know that I love you. Finally, the third time, appealing to the omniscience of Jesus. Lord, you know all things. And three times, Jesus responding, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. If you love me, take care of my people. Our ability to do this flows from our love for our chief shepherd, who has already done this for us. And the crown we receive for the job well done is simply the evidence that we have continued to walk with Jesus all these years. That we continue to enjoy Jesus and love Jesus and obey Jesus. And out of that love, we take care of his flock. That's how we get the crown. And that's how we are motivated to stay in that place of loving and enjoying Jesus. That's the only way we get that. Speaking from my experience of being a pastor for two decades now, there's nothing more joy-giving and life-giving than serving as a pastor. And it flows from my love and enjoyment of Jesus. And there is nothing more miserable than when I'm not in that place. To know that if I stay in that place, I'll do this well and I'll get this crown. For me, that is great motivation. And apart from that, I wouldn't want to do this anymore. Jesus, our chief shepherd, has shepherded us so we can shepherd you. He has done the work. We trust and we follow him. So pray for us to stay close and connected to Jesus so we can bear much fruit. Pray against the enemy and his desire to distract us with the frivolous or destroy us with the sinful. Pray for us to shepherd our families as much and even more than we shepherd this flock. Pray for us to stay alert and sober-minded and urgent about this incredible calling that we have for this role. We, your elders, desperately need Jesus and his gospel. Like that never changes as a Christian or pastor. We don't get more of Jesus, we don't get more access. We have the same needs that non-elders have. We have the same battles with sin. We need the same gospel. So we, we ask you to pray for us. And maybe you're realizing as you hear this this morning, I need Jesus. I need, because I realize I'm a simple person. I realize I have sin in my heart. And I need the gospel of Jesus to transform me from the inside out. To make me a new person. To give me life where there's death. To give me hope where there's despair. To give me uh, forgiveness where there's in, injustice and sins that I've piled up against others. The good news of the gospel is Jesus is alive and he's here. 
And today can be the day of your salvation as you call out to Him and trust Him for forgiveness. And so I invite you to respond to this proclamation of the Gospel. Hear the Word of God. Believe the Word of God. Turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. And please let us know before we leave this building. Let some, the person you came with know. Let someone know so that we can then walk with you through things like baptism and what it means to follow Jesus. Father, thank you so much for the good work of Jesus that has, he's done everything necessary for us to have life abundant now and life eternal forever. Thank you that our sins and our brokenness don't ultimately define us, but the new life we have in Christ does. Thank you for the gift of shepherds to this body. Thank you for the gift of pastors. So many in this room have relationships with pastors that they've had before that are, are good and healthy and you rejoice because you've known these, these men that have been good for you, good for your soul. Certainly there have been some unhealthy relationships with pastors in this room. We ask that you would heal, that you would bind those wounds, that you would rub over them with the sap, the sap that is the gospel, the balm that is the gospel. And that you would heal the sins that have been committed against people by simple and evil pastors. And we ask that you would protect us as the elders of the crossing. Protect the crossing from us and sustain our abiding in you, our love of you, our intimacy with you, so that we can always be healthy and strong and growing. And thus, the crossing can always be healthy and strong and growing. I pray for anyone here who needs Jesus in a salvation, salvific way, that today would be the day of their salvation as they call out to him and trust and believe in his good costly gift. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. First Corinthians uh, chapter 11 gives just really clear instruction on 